This is Life in the Passing Lane, an audio biography by me. I'm Alex Bennett. This chapter has a grim title. The title, AIDS. You know, I just watched a documentary uh, put out by CNN on their 80s series in which they recounted that during the 80s was the, well, the decade that AIDS reared its ugly head. And it suddenly made me think, you know, really, I've got a whole chapter of this life in the passing lane just on AIDS itself. Here's what happened. I'm working in San Francisco. I start to work there in 1980. This is the beginning of the decade of AIDS. This is in the city, San Francisco, where AIDS came to its greatest prominence. While it was probably came out ahead of time in uh, New York, it had its biggest impact on the city of San Francisco. And almost 25% of the population of San Francisco at that time was gay. And uh, a very prominent place where people used to gather, if you were gay, were the gay bathhouses. But let me back up. You know, I'm doing a comedy show. Uh, I'm doing a show in which comedians come on and tell jokes every morning. And uh, all of a sudden, there is this thing out there. There is this uh, epidemic, albeit, uh, taking place out in the streets of San Francisco. And I'm doing my little light morning show every day. And um, comedians would come in, and because AIDS had suddenly started coming into prominence, it was a subject for, I guess, humor for these comedians. Uh, the joke was, you know, uh, AIDS. And how funny it is that these people that have AIDS are gay, blah, 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 blah. And uh, everybody was, one comedian after another was coming in with an AIDS joke. And I, I don't know, you know, I'm sitting there, I'm making a good living. I'm at the, at the time that it first broke, I remember I was at the Quake. And uh, I'm just kind of sitting there, you know, letting it roll off my back. Then one night, I'm watching the news on television, and they're doing a thing about AIDS and how gays in San Francisco and other cities around the United States are starting to get this disease. And they showed somebody with AIDS. And, I mean, there he was lying there in a bed. I remember the, I remember the visual. Lying there in a bed with Carposi's sarcoma. Now, what Carposi's sarcoma was were these, uh, these what can I call it, the, these dark patches that would appear on their skin. Uh, and it was very rarely seen anywhere in medical science, except now with the AIDS victims. And the guy was ashen, pale, eyes sallow, um, uh, uh, at death's door, L lost all his weight. I mean, his body mass was gone. I mean, it was just, it was just terrible. And I watched it, and I was aghast. And so I went to work the next morning feeling slightly different about AIDS. Uh, the difference was, this wasn't funny. And so I told all the comedians I knew, I said, I don't tell you what to make jokes about or not make jokes about, as long as it's nothing that will get us in trouble, like, you know, four-letter words and things like that. And um, I said, I'm going to make a rule. I said, I've got to do it, and my conscience will not allow me to do anything else. And I told them, 
The one joke that's off limits is any joke about AIDS. And they went, why? And I said, AIDS isn't funny. I said, have you seen somebody with AIDS? You know, I saw somebody on television the other night with AIDS, and it was not a pretty sight. I said, it's not funny. But the reason you find it funny is because it's happening to gay people. So by um, attrition, you're creating a form of gay bashing by going after jokes on AIDS because you find them funny because it's happening to, uh, to, to homosexuals. I said, I just don't see any reason why we should be telling jokes about something like that. I said, you wouldn't say, and the funny thing about cancer is, you know, and so I, I laid down the law, and it did not make some comedians very happy. But after a time, they began to see what I meant, because it got worse, and it got worse. Uh, the epidemic uh, became just rampant in the gay community in San Francisco. And um, it was beginning to touch a lot of people. Some of us were getting to know people who had AIDS. Uh, somebody said that if you were around in the 80s in San Francisco, everybody who was in San Francisco knew somebody who had died of AIDS. And um, that was pretty much true. Or at least you knew of somebody with AIDS. And in those days, it was just referred to as AIDS. Uh, the term HIV came a bit later when the medical experts discovered that you could have this marker that showed that you were susceptible to getting what we then called full-blown AIDS, all right? And that sometimes could take as much as 15 years for you to finally get the full-blown AIDS. That's when you start getting the sarcomas and so on. Again, HIV uh, stood for Human Immunodeficiency Virus. So it's, you had the virus in your system. But we didn't know that in the beginning. So everybody who had AIDS had AIDS, and we didn't have this marker that said, hey, you're going to be susceptible to it. So when they suddenly came out with the HIV virus, uh, which was found here in America by Dr. Gallo and over in Europe at the Pasteur Institute, they identified this virus, all of a sudden the people with AIDS or with the potential for AIDS grew exponentially because you added all those people to it because now you could test for a virus. So all these things are in place at this time. There are people dying like crazy in San Francisco. It is a time of great fear. Now, let me tell you about a guy I knew, and his name was Randy Schiltz. Randy Schiltz was a writer for the San Francisco Chronicle. And I got to know Randy because Randy started coming on my program. He later on went on to write a book called And the Band Played On, which is perhaps one of the best historical documents on the AIDS virus in San Francisco and around the country. In fact, he identified what he called Patient Zero. Patient, patient Zero was uh, this guy, a uh, French guy, who was a steward. Uh, steward on airplanes and uh, he would fly from city to city and in each city he had people he'd see he'd go to gay clubs he'd screw his brains out he'd go to the next city screw his brains out and that he had brought it from from uh, uh, Africa and so consequently this guy was a human bacteriological bomb going from place to place and at one point he landed in San Francisco during 
Gay Pride Week. Now, Gay Pride Week is two things. Number one, it's a week to celebrate the pride of being gay. And the other thing is, it's a time to screw your brains out. And this guy had one other bad thing about him. He was extremely good looking. He was extremely muscular. And he was bait for just about any guy he wanted. Okay? So you combine the traveling from city to city. You combine the fact that he had the AIDS virus in him, HIV, which we didn't know about at the time. And then he was able to go to, say, someplace like San Francisco during Gay Pride Week and screw his brains out. Now, another thing was happening in San Francisco at that time. And I think this is very important because, you know, in some ways I have to say that the gay community in many ways was responsible not for AIDS. They were responsible for not doing anything about AIDS. Because at that time in San Francisco, they had a, a series of places called the bathhouses. And I remember one guy saying to me, he, would, he, he said, see that bathhouse over there? And I said, yeah. He said, I fucked a thousand guys in there last year. And, you know, it made me think about it because, quite frankly, you know, women, women are, uh, and I've always said this, women are very protective of their bodies, okay? They're a little more selective about who they have sex with because, God forbid, they might get pregnant. So there's a, there's a, there's a, a thing in them that's protective and, and then says, well, no, I don't want to have sex with you, and I don't want to have sex with you. Guys, on the other hand, left to their own devices to have sex with other guys, there are just no limits to the amount of people that I have sex with. So a guy could very pride, proudly say, I had sex with a thousand guys in there last year. Can you imagine that? And they say in this documentary that the average gay guy in San Francisco each and every year had 500 sexual encounters in the gay bathhouses. So along comes a guy named Dr. Mervyn Silverman. And he just happens to be the director of health in San Francisco. And he starts looking into this situation and decides that the breeding ground for the AIDS virus are these bathhouses. And so he makes an announcement that he wants to close all of the bathhouses. All right. Enter the gay press, okay? Uh, there were several gay publications. Uh, and also, they wrote editorials, they were political advocates, and so on, right? They immediately go after Mervyn Silverman for wanting to close down the bathhouses. They're yelling and screaming that he's anti-gay and that, you know, this, that, and the other thing. And the basic reason they didn't like the fact that Mervyn Silverman wanted to close down all the bathhouses is because their main method of making money were the ads from these bathhouses. And if you close them down, you may as well close down these magazines and newspapers as well. So they hounded him like crazy, and I believe they hounded him out of office, okay? And even the gay community was yelling, how can you close down the gay bathhouses? We love the gay bathhouses, you know? I go there once a week, I love it, I enjoy it. And he was just trying to say, you know, he was like, kind of reminds me of a, a play uh, years ago uh, by a Russian playwright, uh, and it was called Enemy of the People. And it's all about a doctor who says, 
that the baths, because people would go and get baths, it was a tradition among the Jews, were polluted and causing disease. And he was hounded out of town. And I kind of thought of Mervyn Silverman as the modern-day enemy of the people. All of a sudden, he became a pariah to them. And uh, Randy Schultz documented all of this and was documenting this in, uh, in the San Francisco Chronicle and later on in his book, And the Band Played On. So it wasn't just, you know, uh, Ronald Reagan turned a deaf eye to, uh, or deaf ear, <laughs> or a blind eye to uh, the uh, AIDS epidemic. But even worse were the gays for instance, in San Francisco and the gay press in San Francisco who were in total denial that their behavior was causing the problem. Now, it wasn't a matter that they were falling in love with other guys, and it wasn't a matter that they were having sex with other guys. It was just that when you're having sex with 500 guys in a year, you're starting to create a cesspool of disease. I mean, come on, you know. And they just wanted, they were in a state of denial. So they hounded Silverman out of office. And so it's in this uh, environment that Randy Schiltz writes for the Chronicle. And he, he's gay. And he gets vilified for what he's writing, saying, no, these bathhouses need to be closed down. They're dangerous. And so he kind of gave me an idea of, of the politics of all of this. And uh, I then went over to Kit's Hot Hits. Uh, and it may have been Live 105 by the time this uh, particular situation occurred. And it's in this atmosphere that I suddenly become controversial. I had been uh, reading a lot of things by gay groups like GLAAD and uh, 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 People Against AIDS and a whole bunch of things like that. And they were promoting the fact that you could get AIDS from just anything. If you're heterosexual, you were just as prone to getting AIDS as any other person. And I did the research on it, and I saw that the way you get AIDS, okay, here's, here's how you get AIDS. It's transmission of blood product. In other words, yeah, I'm, I suppose if I'm a heterosexual and a woman is having uh, uh, her period and she's got AIDS and then I've got a sore on my lip and it's bleeding and I go down on her, right? Pretty extreme. Maybe I, as a heterosexual, can get AIDS. But basically, it was a homosexual problem, at least at that point. It has since gotten into other areas of our, of our society. But in those days, really, when you're having sex with a guy in the butt, can I be very blunt about this? You are creating a trauma to the, to the, to the asshole. Now, if you like to have anal sex, I, who am I to argue that? But be aware that you probably should do it with a condom. And here's why. When you have anal sex, you create a trauma. That trauma can create, uh, uh, oh, say, uh, not sores, but a break in the skin or whatever and cause bleeding in the anal passage. All right? Because really, you know, stuff's meant to come out of there, not go into it. So if you're suddenly going into it, you're causing things where you have little ruptures and things like that. And then the guy would come. Well, come, spermatozoa is a blood product. And so the two mix, voila, you've got AIDS. And I went on the air and I said, I'm really upset that these, uh, these uh, gay groups 
are saying that heterosexuals are just as likely to get AIDS as homosexuals. I said, I know you want to pass that message along because you want the heterosexual community to be just as afraid of it as, as you are, and you think that that's the way you're going to get funding. Because if we care about ourselves, then maybe we'll yell not for the gay people, but for ourselves. And I said, but I don't believe in lying to the public. I think this is absolutely wrong. And uh, it was uh, uh, just a, a, an outright slam at these gay groups who were trying to say that it was a heterosexual disease as well. Okay? And all of a sudden, of course, the next thing we know, I'm getting calls. I'm getting calls from these gay organizations saying, oh, you don't like homosexual? Get away from me, you know? You don't even know that I'm not gay, all right? Uh, you know, and I said, but I'll have one of you guys on, and we can discuss the matter on the air. And so they sent somebody over, and we had the discussion on the air. And I presented my evidence, and they presented their evidence, and I said, there's no way you're going to get it from purely heterosexual sex, unless maybe the heterosexuals have anal sex. That's, that's, that's the proviso I put on it. But the anal sex is the culprit here, not normal vaginal sex. There isn't the same amount of trauma. Now, that's not to say there aren't extraordinary circumstances that could cause this, but if you have a purely heterosexual male and a purely heterosexual female, no matter what they do, they're going to find it pretty hard to get AIDS, all right? And so we argued on the air, and I, uh, quite frankly, as I remember, they lost their argument. You know, I said, look, you know, I'm not saying this because I... I, I want to hurt anybody or because I'm, I'm mad at anybody or I'm trying to get even with gays for all of this or whatever. I'm saying this because I'm trying to save lives because I don't want lies to be promulgated, whether it's lies about how gays get AIDS or whether it's how heterosexuals can get AIDS. So uh, that was my first big problem. Let me tell you another problem that happened. And this, this was just beautiful. Um... I, um, uh, I then became kind of a target for these gay groups. In spite of the fact, see, here's the stupid thing about those gay groups at the time, and I'll say it now, and I said it back then. They're going after a friend. I mean, I wasn't somebody who was a horrible human being who, who hated gays, and this was my way of getting even with them. No, quite the opposite. I had grown up uh, in theater. I worked with gays all the time. Some of my, as I say, some of my best friends were gay, and yet I wasn't, but, you know, we hung out together. So, I mean, you're coming after a friend. You're attacking a friend. Well, they finally decided to come after me on something else. They said, your show is homophobic. And they wanted to have a meeting. And this was, I think it was GLAD, actually, an early version of the Gay Liberation Alliance Against Discrimination, I think is what it stands for. And uh, gay and lesbian, yeah. Right. So anyway, uh, they, they wanted to have a meeting with the, pro the program director and the uh, general manager of the radio station because they wanted to present their, their arguments for why my show was terrible, Right. And what was their biggest gripe? This was, the, this was their entree into the door. Because Alex Bennett, when questioned on the air once about whether Sam Kinison was homophobic, he said, 
Not in any way. And we find that that was homophobic for him to defend Sam Kinison. So mind you, I'm not being hoisted on a petard for what I've said. I'm hoisted on a petard because of what somebody else allegedly said. And I'll never forget that meeting now. Ed Cramp, the general manager, was there. Richard Sands, the program director, was there. I was there. Lori Thompson, my newswoman, was there. I'm trying to think. Maybe there was a guy by the name of Barry Brady who was there as well, who was the uh, promotions director. And so we're sitting on one side of the table. It's in a very small room because we had very small studios at that time. And, and we sat in the... Uh, um, uh, on one side of the table, and they were on the other side of the table. And it was like it was like the women's uh, church committee coming by to complain. I mean, they were all very, very taut and and uh, and and, uh, and pursing their lips, and they're just really mad with rage because they're about ready to throw their demands down. Ed said, "What what's the problem?" And they said, "Alex Bennett defended Sam Kinison as not being homophobic." This is a terror, you know, this is, I'm being hoisted on a petard for this. So they then, this is wonderful, they then pull out a tape recorder and they say, let me play you some things that Sam Kinison has said in his act. Now, the worst thing you can do to any comedian is to just cut little pieces out that you want people to hear and then try and make your case because it's taking a comedian out of context, okay? Sometimes you're taking the irony out of what they're saying, but you can't some, simply take somebody's comedy act, chop it up only to get the bad parts. It's as though every, a guy swore a lot in, in the act and every, they just edited together the tape that went fuck, 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 okay? So they edited a tape together of everything horrible that Sam Kinison said on one of his albums about gays. And they go, and then listen to this. And he start playing Sam Kinison. Now Sam's, I hate a very funny guy, right? And we're all on the other side of this table listening to these pieces that they're playing for us. And my program director and the general manager are just you know trying to stifle the laughs they're getting because I've heard the material before, so I don't have to laugh at it. I'm not being surprised by it, but they're having a hard time not laughing because Sam was incredibly funny. And the whole thing about Sam was he didn't just go after uh, gays. He went after everybody. That's what he did. He made fun of everybody. And to leave gays out, I think, would be more homophobic than including them in the kind of statements that he made. So they're playing the stuff. And my program director and my general manager and the promotions director all and, and Lori are trying to stifle their laughing. You know, it's kind of like pretending you're coughing and, you know, and whatever. And they're through and they go, what do you think? And at this point, I was just so disgusted by the whole thing, right, that I stood up and I said, here's what I think. You have taken a man's act. You have expurgated a man's act, right? And then made him seem other than he was by just the choices you made in editing it. I said, you guys are nothing but a bunch of Nazis. And I'm not going to put up with this any longer. And I got up and I walked out the room and then as 
loud as I could do it, I slammed the door shut. And as I heard the door begin to slam shut, I heard <gasps> gasps from that side of the table. Well, you know, I can't say we won that one, but we didn't lose it. And I walked out of there feeling that I was justified in what I did. Because I knew in my heart of hearts I wasn't homophobic, and I knew in my heart of hearts neither was Sam Kinison. okay? And in future years, I did a lot of little things to make up for this. I mean, it wasn't even a matter of making up for it. I, I had, on a couple of occasions, been asked to do various stunts like uh, workout, and if I reached certain goals in a workout, that they would give me $5,000 to give to charity. And what I would do is divvy up the char charities with uh, one being um, uh, Meals on Wheels, which was like this uh, uh, food for, for AIDS victims uh, so they could have a good, healthy lunch and give them $2,500, and give the other $2,500 to GLAD. And they would go, what, what, we had all that trouble with you back then. What, why are you giving it to us now? I said, it, I'm not trying to make up for that. I think on the whole you're doing good work. I just thought you were a bunch of assholes coming after me. And uh, I suddenly became a friend of GLAD's in later years. I mean, they were, you know, they suddenly realized that you don't go after people who are on your side. You go after the people who aren't. In that time, I got to tell you, I said that people, if you lived back then in San Francisco, you knew somebody who died of AIDS. You knew somebody who had AIDS. And in my case, uh, the comedy community was impacted. First of all, there was a comedian who won the San Francisco comedy competition. I can't remember what year. His name was Jim Samuels. Never knew he was gay. Never thought of him as gay. People always used to say to me, why don't you have more gay comics on the air? And I went... Gee, I, you know, I knew that Jim was gay, but he never said it on the air, so it's not my job to out him, right? And uh, he died of AIDS. And then what was really unusual is I had a friend. I love this guy. His name is Warren Thomas. And Warren uh, had phlebitis. That's a thing where your blood clots in your legs and, uh, you know. And then they have to give you blood transfusions, and he was at San Francisco General Hospital at the height of the AIDS epidemic. What do you think they found out years later, of course, is that the, the blood supply was contaminated with AIDS blood, and he got some AIDS blood. No, Warren wasn't gay. In fact, he's one of the more heterosexual people I know. But he got AIDS from a blood transfusion at San Francisco General. And I watched this guy start to dissipate. I would hire him for my my uh, live shows and we would uh, have him do his act and I remember he showed up once and he tried to look really good but I understood that underneath all his clothing he was completely bandaged up because of this Carposi sarcoma and he was down to five t-cells you know this is how they measured how bad you were you know you should have something like thousands of t-cells but if you're under a hundred t-cells you're in trouble he was down to five and about that time, the cocktails came out. He started taking the cocktails, and his T-cell count went up to 300, and he was out of the woods. Um, what happened later on was is that uh, he came to New York when I was working in New York, and I you know, saw him a lot because he was an old friend. Then he kind of disappeared for a little while, and then one day nobody heard from him. And so somebody went by his apartment, and he was dead. 
in the apartment. Been dead for about three days. And uh, uh, who knows if it was the AIDS that, that ultimately got him. I don't think so. But his battle with AIDS was one of the most uh, uh, arduous ones that I saw in that whole time. And then another guy I lost uh, was Randy Schultz himself, the guy who wrote in the band Played On. Used to have him on all the time, interviewed him about the, the whole AIDS problem. And he was just a great, great reporter and a nice guy. And he died of AIDS. So right away I know three people who died of AIDS. It was a terrible time in San Francisco. And it was a time in which I felt sorry for the gay community. Because the one thing that we have with each other, the ability to love each other, and then to express that love through sex, was completely robbed from this population. Now the very thing you did to express your love and your fealty towards somebody was robbed from you by a simple little virus. And now the thing that you always kind of found as pleasure and as nurturing was now something that could kill you. How horrible is that? As kind of an interesting postscript to all of this, let me tell you for a moment about Mark Christian McGinnis. Mark Christian McGinnis was the boyfriend of Rock Hudson. Rock Hudson, as you know, had AIDS. He never told Mark he did. And Mark only found out about it when he heard that he had gone to the Pasteur Institute in Paris. And he watched this on television as he told me, it's like the whole room suddenly got smaller. And it was funny that up to the time that I interviewed Mark, uh, he never got AIDS. And I asked him a question that was a very delicate question to ask on the radio. I said, did you accept or did you receive? Because my theory is you could get AIDS from receiving, but not uh, giving. And he said, we traded off. And yet the, he never came down with AIDS. He eventually died of a pulmonary heart attack. What a time. What a scary time. This has been Life in the Passing Lane, an audio biography by me. I'm Alex Bennett.